chapter seventeen part one of supplements to the first book second half the doctrine of the abstract idea or thinking from the world as will and idea volume two by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine the doctrine of the idea of perception chapter seventeen on man's need of metaphysics part one with the exception of man no being wonders at its own existence but it is to them all so much a matter of course that they do not observe it the wisdom of nature speaks out of the peaceful glance of the brutes for in them the will and the intellect are not yet so widely separated that they can be astonished at each other when they meet again thus here the whole phenomenon is still firmly attached to the stem of nature from which it has come and is partaker of the unconscious omniscience of the great mother only after the inner being of nature the will to live in its objectification has ascended vigorous and cheerful through the two series of unconscious existences and then through the long and broad series of animals does it attain at last to reflection for the first time on the entrance of reason thus in man then it marvels at its own works and asks itself what it itself is its wonder however is the more serious as it here stands for the first time consciously in the presence of death and besides the finiteness of all existence the vanity of all effort forces itself more or less upon it with this reflection and this wonder there arises therefore for man alone the need for a metaphysic he is accordingly an animal metaphysicum at the beginning of his consciousness certainly he also accepts himself as a matter of course this does not last long however but very early with the first dawn of reflection that wonder already appears which is some day to become the mother of metaphysics in agreement with this aristotle also says at the beginning of his metaphysics diagar totaumadzein oi anthropoi kai nun kai to proton irxanto philosophein propter admirationem enim et nunc et primo inceperunt homines philosophari moreover the special philosophical disposition consists primarily in this that a man is capable of wonder beyond the ordinary and everyday degree and is thus induced to make the universal of the phenomenon his problem while the investigators in the natural sciences wonder only at exquisite or rare phenomena and their problem is merely to refer these to phenomena which are better known the lower a man stands in an intellectual regard the less of a problem is existence itself for him everything how it is and that it is appears to him rather a matter of course this rests upon the fact that his intellect still remains perfectly true to its original destiny of being serviceable to the will as the medium of motives and therefore is closely bound up with the world and nature as an integral part of them consequently it is very far from comprehending the world in a purely objective manner freeing itself so to speak from the whole of things opposing itself to this whole and so for a while becoming as if self-existent on the other hand the philosophical wonder which springs from this is conditioned in the individual by higher development of the intellect 
yet in general not by this alone but without doubt it is the knowledge of death and along with this the consideration of the suffering and misery of life which gives us the strongest impulse to philosophical reflection and metaphysical explanation of the world if our life were endless and painless it would perhaps occur to no one to ask why the world exists and is just the kind of world it is but everything would just be taken as a matter of course in accordance with this we find that the interest which philosophical and also religious systems inspire has always its strongest hold in the dogma of some kind of existence after death and although the most recent systems seem to make the existence of their gods the main point and to defend this most zealously yet in reality this is only because they have connected their special dogma of immortality with this and regard the one as inseparable from the other only on this account is it of importance to them for if one could establish their doctrine of immortality for them in some other way their lively zeal for their gods would at once cool and it would give place almost to complete indifference if conversely the absolute impossibility of immortality were proved to them for the interest in the existence of the gods would vanish with the hope of a closer acquaintance with them to the residuum which might connect itself with their possible influence on the events of this present life but if one could prove that continued existence after death is incompatible with the existence of gods because let us say it presupposes originality of being they would soon sacrifice the gods to their own immortality and become zealous for atheism the fact that the materialistic systems properly so called and also absolute scepticism have never been able to obtain a general or lasting influence depends upon the same grounds temples and churches pagodas and mosques in all lands and in all ages in splendour and vastness testify to the metaphysical need of man which strong and ineradicable follows close upon his physical need certainly whoever is satirically inclined might add that this metaphysical need is a modest fellow who is content with poor fare it sometimes allows itself to be satisfied with clumsy fables and insipid tales if only imprinted early enough they are for a man adequate explanations of his existence and supports of his morality consider for example the koran this wretched book was sufficient to found a religion of the world to satisfy the metaphysical need of innumerable millions of men for twelve hundred years to become the foundation of their morality and of no small contempt for death and also to inspire them to bloody wars and most extended conquests we find in it the saddest and the poorest form of theism much may be lost through the translations but i have not been able to discover one single valuable thought in it such things show that metaphysical capacity does not go hand in hand with the metaphysical need yet it will appear that in the early ages of the present surface of the earth this was not the case and that those who stood considerably nearer than we do to the beginning of the human race and the source of organic nature had also both greater energy of the intuitive faculty of knowledge and a truer disposition of mind so that they were capable of a purer more direct comprehension of the inner being of nature and were thus in a position to satisfy the metaphysical need in a more worthy manner thus originated in the primitive ancestors of the brahmins the rishis the almost superhuman conceptions 
which were afterwards set down in the upanishads of the vedas on the other hand there have never been wanting persons who were interested in deriving their living from that metaphysical need and in making the utmost they could out of it therefore among all nations there are monopolists and farmers general of it the priests yet their trade had everywhere to be assured to them in this way that they received the right to impart their metaphysical dogmas to men at a very early age before the judgment has awakened from its morning slumber thus in early childhood for then every well-impressed dogma however senseless it may be remains forever if they had to wait till the judgment is ripe their privileges could not continue a second though not a numerous class of persons who derive their support from the metaphysical need of man is constituted by those who live by philosophy by the greeks they were called sophists by the moderns they are called professors of philosophy aristotle in metaphysics two two without hesitation numbers aristippus among the sophists in diogenes laertius two sixty five we find that the reason of this is that he was the first of the socratics who accepted payment for his philosophy on account of which socrates also returned him his present among the moderns also those who live by philosophy are not only as a rule and with the rarest exceptions quite different from those who live for philosophy but they are very often the opponents the secret and irreconcilable enemies of the latter for every true and important philosophical achievement will overshadow their own too much and moreover cannot adapt itself to the views and limitations of their guild therefore it is always their endeavour to prevent such a work from making its way and for this purpose according to the age and circumstances in each case the customary means are suppressing concealing hushing up ignoring and keeping secret or denying disparaging censuring slandering and distorting or finally denouncing and persecuting hence many a great man has had to drag himself wearily through life unknown unhonoured unrewarded till at last after his death the world became undeceived as to him and as to them in the meanwhile they had attained their end had been accepted by preventing him from being accepted and with wife and child had lived by philosophy while he lived for it but if he is dead then the thing is reversed the new generation of the former class which always exists now becomes heir to his achievements cuts them down to its own measure and now lives by him that kant could yet live both by and for philosophy depended on the rare circumstance that for the first time since divus antoninus and divus julianus a philosopher sat on the throne only under such auspices could the critique of pure reason have seen the light scarcely was the king dead than we see that kant also seized with fear because he belonged to the guild modified expurgated and spoiled his masterpiece in the second edition and yet was soon in danger of losing his place so that campe invited him to come to him in brunswick and live with him as the instructor of his family ansichten aus kant's leben page sixty eight university philosophy is as a rule mere juggling its real aim is to import to the students in the deepest ground of their thought that tendency of mind which the ministry that appoints to the professorships regards as consistent with its views the ministry may also be perfectly right in this from a statesman's point of view only the result of it 
is that such philosophy of the chair is a nervis alienis mobile lignum and cannot be regarded as serious philosophy but as the mere jest of it moreover it is at any rate just that such inspection or guidance should extend only to the philosophy of the chair and not to the real philosophy that is in earnest for if anything in the world is worth wishing for so well worth wishing for that even the ignorant and dull herd in its more reflective moments would prize it more than silver and gold it is that a ray of light should fall on the obscurity of our being and that we should gain some explanation of our mysterious existence in which nothing is clear but its misery and its vanity but even if this is in itself attainable it is made impossible by imposed and compulsory solutions we shall now subject to a general consideration the different ways of satisfying this strong metaphysical need by metaphysics i understand all knowledge that pretends to transcend the possibility of experience thus to transcend nature or the given phenomenal appearance of things in order to give an explanation of that by which in some sense or other this experience or nature is conditioned or to speak in popular language of that which is behind nature and makes it possible but the great original diversity in the power of understanding besides the cultivation of it which demands much leisure makes so great a difference between men that as soon as a people has emerged from the state of savages no one metaphysic can serve for them all therefore among civilized nations we find throughout two different kinds of metaphysics which are distinguished by the fact that the one has its evidence in itself the other outside itself since the metaphysical systems of the first kind require reflection culture and leisure for the recognition of their evidence they can be accessible only to a very small number of men and moreover they can only arise and maintain their existence in the case of advanced civilization on the other hand the systems of the second kind exclusively are for the great majority of men who are not capable of thinking but only of believing and who are not accessible to reasons but only to authority these systems may therefore be called metaphysics of the people after the analogy of poetry of the people and also wisdom of the people by which is understood proverbs these systems however are known under the name of religions and are found among all nations not excepting even the most savage their evidence is as has been said external and as such is called revelation which is authenticated by signs and miracles their arguments are principally threats of eternal and indeed also temporal evils directed against unbelievers and even against mere doubters as ultima ratio theologorum we find among many nations the stake or things similar to it if they seek a different authentication or if they make use of other arguments they already make the transition into the systems of the first kind and may degenerate into a mixture of the two which brings more danger than advantage for their invaluable prerogative of being imparted to children gives them the surest guarantee of the permanent possession of the mind for thereby their dogmas grow into a kind of second inborn intellect like the twig upon the grafted tree while on the other hand the systems of the first kind only appeal to grown-up people and in them always find a system of the second kind already in possession of their convictions both kinds of metaphysics whose difference may be briefly expressed by the words reason conviction and faith have this in common 
that every one of their particular systems stands in a hostile relation to all the others of its kind between those of the first kind war is waged only with word and pen between those of the second with fire and sword as well several of the latter owe their propagation in part to this last kind of polemic and all have by degrees divided the earth between them and indeed with such decided authority that the peoples of the earth are distinguished and separated more according to them than according to nationality or government they alone reign each in its own province the systems of the first kind on the contrary are at the most tolerated and even this only because on account of the small number of their adherents they are for the most part not considered worth the trouble of combating with fire and sword although where it seemed necessary these also have been employed against them with effect besides they occur only in a sporadic form yet in general they have only been endured in a tamed and subjugated condition for the system of the second kind which prevailed in the country ordered them to conform their teaching more or less closely to its own sometimes it not only subjugated them but even employed their services and used them as a support which is however a dangerous experiment for these systems of the first kind since they are deprived of power believe they may advance themselves by craft and never entirely lay aside a secret ill-will which at times comes unexpectedly into prominence and inflicts injuries which are hard to heal for they are further made the more dangerous by the fact that all the real sciences not even excepting the most innocent are their secret allies against the systems of the second kind and without themselves being openly at war with the latter suddenly and unexpectedly do great mischief in their province besides the attempt which is aimed at by the enlistment referred to of the services of the systems of the first kind by the second the attempt to add an inner authentication to a system whose original authentication was external is in its nature perilous for if it were capable of such an authentication it would never have required an external one and in general it is always a hazardous thing to attempt to place a new foundation under a finished structure moreover how should a religion require the suffrage of a philosophy it has everything upon its side revelation tradition miracles prophecies the protection of the government the highest rank as is due to the truth the consent and reverence of all a thousand temples in which it is proclaimed and practised bands of sworn priests and what is more than all the invaluable privilege of being allowed to imprint its doctrines on the mind at the tender age of childhood whereby they become almost like innate ideas with such wealth of means at its disposal still to desire the assent of poor philosophers it must be more covetous or to care about their contradiction it must be more fearful than seems to be compatible with a good conscience to the distinction established above between metaphysics of the first and of the second kind we have yet to add the following a system of the first kind thus a philosophy makes the claim and has therefore the obligation in everything that it says sensu stricto et proprio to be true for it appeals to thought and conviction a religion on the other hand being intended for the innumerable multitude who since they are incapable of examination and thought would never comprehend the profoundest and most difficult truths sensu proprio has only the obligation to be true sensu allegorico 
truth cannot appear naked before the people a symptom of this allegorical nature of religions is the mysteries which are to be found perhaps in them all certain dogmas which cannot even be distinctly thought not to speak of being literally true indeed perhaps it might be asserted that some absolute contradictions some actual absurdities are an essential ingredient in a complete religion for these are just the stamp of its allegorical nature and the only adequate means of making the ordinary mind and the uncultured understanding feel what would be incomprehensible to it that religion has ultimately to do with quite a different order of things with an order of things in themselves in the presence of which the laws of this phenomenal world in conformity with which it must speak vanish and that therefore not only the contradictory but also the comprehensible dogmas are really only allegories and accommodations to the human power of comprehension it seems to me that it was in this spirit that augustine and even luther adhered to the mysteries of christianity in opposition to pelagianism which sought to reduce everything to the dull level of comprehensibility from this point of view it is also conceivable how tertullian could say in all seriousness prorsus credibile est quia ineptum est certum est quia impossibile de carne christi five this allegorical nature of religions makes them independent of the proofs which are incumbent on philosophy and in general withdraws them from investigation instead of this they require faith that is a voluntary admission that such is the state of the case since then faith guides action and the allegory is always so framed that as regards the practical it leads precisely to that which the truth sensu proprio would also lead to religion is justified in promising to those who believe eternal salvation thus we see that in the main and for the great majority who cannot apply themselves to thought religions very well supply the place of metaphysics in general the need of which man feels to be imperative they do this partly in a practical interest as the guiding star of their action the unfurled standard of integrity and virtue as kant admirably expresses it partly as the indispensable comfort in the heavy sorrows of life in which capacity they fully supply the place of an objectively true metaphysic because they lift man above himself and his existence in time as well perhaps as such a metaphysic ever could in this their great value and indeed necessity shows itself very clearly for plato says and says rightly philosophon plethos adunatan enai that is vulgus philosophum esse impossibile est the republic six page eighty nine on the other hand the only stumbling stone is this that religions never dare to confess their allegorical nature but have to assert that they are true sensu proprio they thereby encroach on the province of metaphysics proper and call forth the antagonism of the latter which has therefore expressed itself at all times when it was not chained up the controversy which is so perseveringly carried on in our own day between supernaturalists and rationalists also rests on the failure to recognize the allegorical nature of all religion both wish to have christianity true sensu proprio in this sense the former wish to maintain it without deduction as it were with skin and hair and thus they have a hard stand to make against the knowledge and general culture of the age the latter wish to explain away all that is properly christian whereupon they retain something which is neither sensu proprio nor sensu allegorico 
true but rather a mere platitude little better than judaism or at the most a shallow pelagianism and what is worst an abject optimism absolutely foreign to christianity proper moreover the attempt to found a religion upon reason removes it into the other class of metaphysics that which has its authentication in itself thus to the foreign ground of the philosophical systems and into the conflict which these wage against each other in their own arena and consequently exposes it to the light fire of scepticism and the heavy artillery of the critique of pure reason but for it to venture there would be clear presumption end of chapter seventeen part one recording by expatriate in bangor maine